Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi, Ben. Greetings as always. What a nice greeting. Now, Ben and I are automotive adventurers. We're automotive explorers. We like things that go vroom. And we are, are we, ben? we're automotively open-minded, um, we're automotive journalists, and uh, we're automotive experimentalists. Ooh, you're very good at this description thing. Well, it comes with the territory. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Ben and I have been driving some really cool cars, and we'd love to tell you all about it. So, Ben, why don't you take it away, because I think you got the really interesting uh, side of the story this week. That could be true. I actually just came back last night from the Nevada desert. Uh, about an hour outside of Las Vegas at the Spring Mountain Motorsports Ranch, where I was driving the 2017 Chevrolet Camaro 1LE. Whoa! Of all of the very exciting things that goes down in Vegas, that's that's got to be one of them. It's uh well, you know, I'm not a big fan of Vegas. The uh, program itself was tied in with the SEMA show this year, um, which is I don't know if anyone out there is familiar with SEMA. But uh, the show itself is an enormous – it's probably the largest auto show I've ever been to. And it's just vendors of aftermarket parts and performance stuff. And a lot of OEMs are involved. And it's crazy. It's at the Las Vegas Convention Center. And um, it'll take you four days just to see everything if you wanted to walk row for row. There's so much stuff going on. And so many celebrities and um, stars of the automotive world are there to put in an appearance or promote this and that. But uh, I mean, SEMA is, is interesting. It's overwhelming. Um, Vegas itself, not my favorite place. But uh, if you do go to Nevada, you can skip Vegas and go right to Spring Mountain, which is located in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, fun word to say. Uh, notorious for its brothels. Um, but I think that over time, Spring Mountain is going to become an even bigger attraction because it's a giant facility with a huge racetrack that can be divided up into three or four different uh, discrete tracks and they just bought another huge parcel of land or they're closing on it soon and they're going to build I think another nine miles of track so Ooh. it's a huge yeah it's a huge facility the Ron Fellows driving school is there uh, where you can learn how to drive your Corvette to the max to the extreme full out all the time um, he also does there's also a Cadillac V performance or the V Academy I believe is there mm -hmm. and there's a radical program for more um, uh, focused race driving but now, when more, you, say ra you say radical, it's not like it's like out there radical. You mean like the actual race cars? The actual radical, race right? cars, yes. Okay. And it, this it, whole, this whole, your whole intro of this whole thing is hilarious. You know, first of all, we got brothels in Parump. We've got um, Spring Mountain that goes along with the territory of all the brothels. And then you said that they're just discrete tracks, which I thought was really fun. You've got a great choice of words today, man. I love it. Well, you know, the desert has a tendency to clear the mind. So I've been lonely for a long week. <laughs> Because when you go to Spring Mountain, I did spend one night in Vegas, but uh, the track itself has condos. Um, they, you know those car condos that we all fantasize about where basically you have a house above a garage? Mm. That's that's Spring Mountain. There's um, three different blocks, and I don't even know how many. Probably like 12 to 13 garages per block, and they're two-car garages. And you live above your – or you rent above your garage, and you can keep your race car there and just drive out and drive on the track and then park it in the garage and go home. It's it's amazing. and um, it's a private uh, club that has public days, I believe, but uh, the, the primary model is for individuals who want to have their private stuff locked away from prying eyes and they can just have fun with a track car. Maybe they can't park at home. Uh, and, and it was funny because you, know, you associate these kinds of high-end facilities with 
all types of vehicles, usually like exotic stuff and very high performance cars. But I saw more Miatas than anything else the entire week I was at Spring Mountain. And some of these, since it's the desert, you can just leave your car outside with the windows down indefinitely. <laughs> and there were Miatas scattered around the property doing exactly that. So it was kind of Miata, cool. Are Miatas like the ants of like a racetrack? They're just everywhere. They're just like they just show up. Ants is kind of a diminutive way to refer to one of the most popular and best sports cars ever built but i guess in like sammy's what, world like the, like the civics like the corollas what am i trying to say here they're like they're at every racetrack you're gonna see they are in, in any given weekend there are more mazdas competing in motorsports in the united states than any other brand of vehicle okay but you were not at spring mountain to even uh, like check out the miata Tell no that was just a bonus so yeah. this 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 whole long preamble has to do with the fact that i was there to drive the 1LE. And the 1LE is a car most people are familiar with if you're into performance at all. Um, the previous generation Camaro had one, and it was a handling package that you could add to the SS, and it gave you better shock springs, everything uh, that you would need to kind of have an out-of-the-box, factory-backed performance car that you could take to the track. And for 2017, it's the new generation Camaro, the 6th gen, and uh, they took things to a new extreme. Um, there's a couple of really big differences between the previous 1LE and the current one. Um, the biggest one would be now there's a V6 model. So uh, the V6 itself, 335 horsepower. It's no slouch. But um, before, it, Chevy didn't really throw a lot of performance parts at it. Now the 1LE package in full can be added to the car and you get a whole bunch of stuff. You get It's, it's easy to think of it as an SS with a smaller engine because you get the full okay. FE3 SS suspension package. You get a manual locking differential or a limited slip differential. You get three uh, 327 gears in the back, mm -hmm. which uh, you can't – I don't believe you can get those from the factory. Um, it'll do 0.97 G in the corners because it has uh, Goodyear Eagle F1s. They're run flats on 20-inch forged aluminum rims. And it's got just got a whole bunch of other cool stuff too, like a full track cooling. So the, the Chevrolet wanted you to be able to stay out there all day on the track and not really mm -hmm. worry about um, overheating the car. So you have that. It's got the dual-mode exhaust as an option on the car as standard equipment. you got a short-throw shifter. Um, and it has different tuning for the stability control system. Ooh, and okay. yeah, so to give you higher is limits, is that the five mode, uh, the five mode system? Or I do not believe it has PTM. It just has oh, a okay. more aggressive track setting because you still have like tour sport and track. Okay, uh, you could interesting though. You can get PDR um, as an option, oh. which you even can. on the even on the V six, even on the V six, you can't get that with the regular V six. Uh, that's the performance data recorder. And it's a video system that gives you a full overlay with telemetry from your from your drive, so you can have like a track video to go with what you're doing during the day. It's pretty cool, and you can get Recaro seats too. Um, so all of that to say, oh, and uh, four piston Brembo's up front. So it's a pretty serious package, and the best thing about it is it's only forty five hundred bucks. Over the regular V6. Over the regular V6. Wow. So, Sorry, uh, again, how much? 4500 bucks. So the base price, you can add it to a 1LS, which is like the entry-level trim for Camaro, uh, and it's 32895 So that's really cheap. That's a really good That's a really good track-ready uh, vehicle. I mean, if it is track-ready, did you put it on the track? I did put it on the track. Um, and Well, here's, here's the thing. So GM says they're targeting the Ford Mustang GT with the V6 version of the 1LE. And that's a pretty, yeah, that's a ballsy thing to say because the GT has a, a hell of a lot more horsepower on tap. <laughs> like 100, like 100 like, more horsepower. 100 more horsepower, but, but, and this is no secret, out of the box, a standard GT is not exactly a track car. Uh, they didn't say performance pack GT. 
they said regular GT. Um, and so I was like, well, you know what, that's, that's, that's cool to say that, but how does it drive? And, and it's really a tale of two very different environments. Um, on the street, I'm not a big fan of the V6. You really have to rev that engine to get going anywhere. And uh, we drove it from Vegas to Spring Mountain and through some mountain passes. We climbed about 6,000 feet. And oh, wow. Yeah. And when we were passing people, you really have to work the V6. Uh, you, you can't get an auto. All the all the 1LEs are, are manuals. Um, and cool. just you had to plan all of your passes. And it wasn't the most fun. But erase all of that once you get onto the track because it doesn't matter. It, on the track, you can keep revs as long as you want to. You don't have to worry about passing people and, and choosing a, the right gear because you're already in the right gear. You're already thinking about that kind of stuff. So it really wakes the engine up. There's only 284 pound-feet of torque from that engine and, and most of the power is really high. The horsepower comes on at 6,800 RPM. The uh, the torque's a little lower. I think it's around 5,000, 5,300. But still, you, you got to ring the, the the engine, ring its neck to, to get going quickly. And that really, that really is a downside to the V6 Camaro is that it has it has quite a bit of power, but the torque is not there, um, and that's a little unfortunate. It's not, and it's not so much that it's not there; it's that it's up so high. Like when you think muscle car, you think, well, I, I'm going to have max torque at 2,300 RPM, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and that's just not the case in the V6. But I will say this on the track. Um, it's very, very, very stable. That's the thing that came, the biggest takeaway for me. So uh, the, earlier in the week, I'd driven a stock version of the Camaro V6 on the same track, as well as uh, Chevy Performance Parts modified versions of the of the V6. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, it was the exact same track layout. And um, you can very easily get the base V6 out of shape um, if you upset the chassis. But the 1LE, forget about it. Um, the, it the, sticks. It does sticks. It, does, it, does it understeer or does it, it rotates no. like it's nice? No, it, it rotates what? nicely. There's no real understeer. There's no real push with the car. A lot of that's the tires. The tires are great. Yeah. Uh, the suspension is great. It's lighter than the than the V8. It's uh, about 3,400 pounds, um, which is a decent weight for a performance car. That and you know, really good, yeah. But you know what? Like I realize I'm talking a lot and I'm not letting you you get your, your bid in. Um, I feel bad about that. But what, what do you I, mean? What's my, what's my bit? I, I'm I'm super excited to hear more about this. Well, I know I know that you were a big fan of the Camaro V6, and you were considering the Camaro V6 with the One LE as a uh, a potential future Sammy purchase. Is that not is that not correct? Yeah, absolutely. If uh, if things ever worked it out really really well for me, uh, the One LE seems like a really solid upgrade. Um, it has a, a ton of pa- a nice power. It's a track ready car, um, and I think it looks great. Uh, the only thing is the livability of it. It's got a tiny trunk and uh, you can't see out of it, but that's the traditional Camaro like uh, compromises, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, I will say this. Uh, the one LE suspension on the street, it's transparent. You're not noticing any kind of uh, bouncing around. It's not overly stiff. Uh, I think that really speaks to the amount of engineering prowess that went into developing this car. But as, as as intriguing as the idea of a V6 1LE is, as soon as you drive the SS, you instantly forget that the V6 exists. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a really cool that's a really cool magic trick of a Camaro SS. Uh, I mean, it, w- what's funny too is that both the drivetrains are stock; they don't touch the V8 or the V6 in the cars. The only upgraded components in the drivetrain is there's extra cooling, and uh, they did a little. Uh, uh, there's a few tweaks for the uh the transmission internally to keep it uh keep it track ready all day long but um you have 455 horsepower 455 pound feet of torque in the 1LE SS and you can use it all because it's riding on F1 supercar tires 
uh, the Goodyear Eagles. So it's a step above what you get from the V6. Same 20-inch measurement. It's actually a little bit quicker to 60 than the regular manual car. It's 4.2 seconds. Oh, uh, as an aside, the 1LE V6 is faster to 60 than the previous generation SS. <laughs> That's amazing. It but is that amazing. Could also, that could also be all gearing, I guess. It is gearing. It's 100% gearing. And speaking of gearing... Uh, you get more gearing with the SS1LE. You get 373s in the back, but more importantly, you get the ELSD, the Electronically Controlled Limited Slip, which you cannot buy on its own from Chevrolet. They will not sell it to you as a performance part. Um, and, and, you it, can't, and you can't get that on an SS. You, without, you, without you cannot. That, that's correct. And it even more uh, exciting is the MagRide suspension that's been tuned to FE4 specs it's basically a ZL1 suspension setup underneath an SS. Okay, so that's, all, that's really exciting. Uh, yeah, it, and really I, I think it's even more exciting than the existence of the ZL1 to begin with. Because unlike the ZL1, which is going to have a, a stupid amount of horsepower, the yeah. 455 horses from the Camaro uh, 1LE, it, it's perfect. It's exactly what you need. You don't overpower the tires at any time. It's really hard to spin the car. Um, it doesn't want to spin. It's very flat. Um, the tires are a big part of that, and uh, it's just a really nice, nicely balanced package. You get all the cool stuff that you would expect in a track car. You get a factory warranty to go with it, and you get six-piston Brembo brakes up front, which are absolutely ridiculous. No one really needs that. Um, but uh, speaking to – remember I said that the V6 car was targeted at the GT, and that was kind of ballsy? Well, mm -hmm. Chevrolet is targeting the SS at the M4. Oh wow! And okay. in, fa in fact, well, they had they had an M4 for us to drive back to back with the car. Interesting. And what do you think? I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the BMW M4. Maybe I just haven't driven it at the right time. Um, but well, what's the right time I, to drive the M4? I don't know. I feel I haven't driven. I've never driven it on the track, and um, and I don't know. I don't think I've ever had it in a really nice, perfect summer day, and I've never had it for like a long trip or driving it aggressively. I've just had it for. A mo like a weekend, and that was it. Well, and, I've ne I had yeah. never I, I had never driven the M4 on the track until now. I, I've driven the M3 um, previously, and you know, I wasn't super impressed with the car. I feel like it's kind of lost a little something in the transition to turbo power. Mm -hmm. But uh, the M4 on the track, it wasn't an apples to apples comparison because it was riding well. You know, it's the tires that come with it. Uh, they yeah, were, absolutely. Those tires on the Camaro are are huge, are a big deal of this car. They definitely are. Uh, it's just the shifter in the BMW was not at the same level as the, the Camaro shifter. The seating position wasn't really something I liked. Uh, one thing you do notice is the M4, there's a lot of power there, especially once the turbos really come on. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very quick vehicle. But it's clearly, and this is this is how I phrased it when I was when I was trying to figure out in my mind what the difference was between the two. And it's that the, the M4 is a streetcar that you can take to the track if you want to but the ss1 le is very much a track car um it's designed to the factory wants you to take it to the track and the street is just a nice mm -hmm. bonus you can drive it to and from the track if you want and, and that's not to say i mean just like the v6 car in daily driving you don't notice that you're driving a 1le there's nothing really special about it until the roads get really twisty or until you're at a track just hammering it now do you think that Camar that chevrolet's uh, experience with the z28 uh, really shows in the new 1LE. Uh, how how do you mean? Like what what about the Z28 specifically? The Z28 was designed to be a hardcore track version of the Camaro. Yes. Um, 
and it was it, there was no compromises. Uh, it was a no compromise track car. Um, they they put those tires, they put those brakes on it, um, they put a ridiculous engine in there. But from what I understand, it was a very balanced car. Well, Which, I, I I think do you that, see that same philosophy with the one elite. No, I think it's something different. Um, I think the 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 one elite package. I mean, it, the history of the one elite package is Chevy wanted to do well in showroom stock racing in the late '80s. They were getting beat up pretty bad, and so they came up with they they raided their parts bin basically trying to find uh, go fast parts that could add to the car that they could add to the streetcar as well, and that's how you ended up with um, up level suspensions. They were able to pick stuff up from uh, either larger cars like the Caprice back in the back in the eighties that had bigger brakes and whatnot, um, or just parts that they developed for the car over time like the upgraded suspension and shocks. And this is kind of what they've done with the the one LE. It's it's not so much a car that was developed. Uh, they didn't set out to develop the car. It's that they had a bunch of really cool stuff they could already put on the Camaro, and they found a way to do it and, and make it affordable. And it's not a no compromise car because it's intended to be driven on the street. I think the Z28 is something that you might want a trailer to the track, mm-hmm. but the the SS is it's a it's a very livable car. It's and it's very affordable, unlike the Z28. So it's a different philosophy. I think this is this is for the weekend racer who's not a millionaire um, and who just wants to have a good time and not really have to worry about having two cars, one for the street and one for the track. All right, that sounds just like me. But uh, is this SS One LE? Is that also a forty five hundred dollar upgrade over the regular SS? It's a sixty five hundred dollar upgrade because you're getting Ooh. stuff like Mag Ride. And a few other uh, goodies that you can't get, like the ELSD on the V6. Um, so, what's the out out of the out the door price on one? Just under forty five thousand US. Okay, so it's still it's still cheaper than a Corvette, for example. It's cheaper than a Corvette, and it's much much cheaper than an S5 or an M4 or whatever you wanted to compare it to. I don't know how many people are really cross shopping those cars. I think that those are just nice targets for GM to have in terms of performance. Uh, but there's no question that this is a very serious track car. There's there's nothing about it that's that's poser in any way. It's it's been put together to do a specific thing. It does that thing very well, and it does it for an affordable price. Okay, and while you're out there driving hardcore uh, Camaros on the track, uh, I was over in L.A. Uh, doing quite the opposite of you. Uh, I was driving the the new Lincoln Continental, which is a um, full size SUV. Uh, sorry, full size sedan <laughs> from um, Ford's luxury brand Lincoln. And how was that? What was that like? What was the Lincoln experience like? The Lincoln experience was very nice, uh, as always. We're in Bel Air, uh, where uh, I drove past uh, the Fresh Prince's house, which is really cool. You know that uh, the Fresh Prince wasn't real. What? No. There's I've, definitely royalty in Bel Air. There's definitely royalty in Bel Air, but only uh, only in the summer. <laughs> Anyways, I did that in the new uh, Lincoln Continental. We had the reserve package. There's about three. Uh, uh, sorry, two uh, packages that you can choose from, as well as a black label car. Uh, now, the black label vehicles are not available in Canada, so we didn't get a chance to test them. Um, but we did drive the reserve all-wheel drive models with the new 3-liter V6 engine that makes 400 horsepower and 400 pound-feet of torque. And what was that like? What was that motor like? Because I have not driven it yet. It's a very good, actually. It's surprisingly good. Um, the car felt quick, and uh, and it whooshed off. It didn't just, like plow forward it didn't just like take off like a like a muscle car it was very refined it felt great um and and it and it felt right for a luxury car especially the way that uh lincoln is marketing this vehicle and and so this is this is the biggest car in the lincoln lineup right is it the most expensive car too 
Uh, I think the Navigator would be more expensive, but yeah, this is the flagship car that you can get um, at the at a Lincoln dealership. And how much does it cost? It starts in the U.S. at around forty-seven thousand uh, dollars. Actually, forty-four or forty-five thousand um, dollars. And in Canada, it's about uh, it's much more because they remove the base engine option. You can either get it with in in Canada, you can get it with two EcoBoost engines, and in the U.S., you get a base three-point-seven liter V6. Oh, really? So there's no there's no are there any four cylinder options? No, no four cylinders in here at all. Okay, that's a good that's a good idea, I think. But um, uh, who who does Lincoln think they're competing with with this car? Well, Lincoln says that uh, they're kind of going for that uh, Audi A6 kind of demographic. Um, their car is about that size, uh, and it seems a little bit more competitively priced than that. Um, to me, I see this um, as a as a car that you can take. Uh, and and really be happy with honestly the interior the fit and finish of this car was was solid um, especially people in the back seat there's so much content in the back seat uh, so let me just break it down real quick for you I mean a luxury car has to have all these features it's got to have uh, heated and vented seats it's got to have a heated steering wheel um, and some of them have massage seats uh, Lincoln included they have these 30-way adjustable seats that uh, can also massage you and I think you've probably tested that in an MKX. Uh, or an MKZ. Yes, definitely. Now, that content also goes in the back seat for the Continental, which is amazing. So you you're have, basically, it's it's the is Lincoln offering say more features than what you would get in like a base A6, or is it is it they trying to undercut the competition? Because I mean, Lincoln right now is clearly a challenger brand in the sense that they've kind of fallen out of the the conversation for a lot of premium shoppers. So the, the, I know the Continental is, 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 is very new for them and it's something that they want to kind of push to the forefront and, hey, here's the new face of our brand. So is it, are they doing that with price as well or is it, is it something that you know, you're still going to have to pay an Audi-like price for the same features? It does not feel like it's an Audi-like price, but our fully loaded model um, with that, with that three-liter V6, uh, twin-turbo V6 and all of the trimmings and wasn't a black label model, Came close to seventy-five grand, which is a lot of money. Seventy-five grand, and it's not a black label, which means you could pay more if you if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those black labels, that those are something else too. Those have really exclusive materials, and uh, they feel like something special as well. We got we got limoed. Uh, sorry, we got taken from or picked up in the airport in a black label, and it was it was beautiful. The the interior, especially. I'm having a lot of trouble picturing the buyer who spends seventy-five U.S. On okay. a Lincoln Continental, and uh, you're you're not the only one. But you know what? They're trying to do some new stuff. Uh, it reminds their their strategy, their mindset reminds me a lot of the Genesis brand, which is Hyundai's uh, luxury brand, and they're also selling cars that are about that much. Um, so they're kind of trying to make that difference in terms of service. So there's not going to be, or there are going to be individual uh, Lincoln shops, so retail shops that you can. You, you'll only get a Lincoln experience, and they're just pop-up shops. They can just show up in like high-traffic, uh, high-end neighborhoods. Um, yep. And and they want to do some stuff like a, they want to have a concierge service. They want to let you test drive the car for a whole weekend rather than just uh, like thirty minutes or so. Uh, they have like some date night offering, which is really interesting as well. So they're really trying to to wow the customer here. I don't know if if Genesis is really a good comparison because if you look at the G90, it starts at about sixty eight thousand. It starts at sixty eight, and um, the car itself is a lot bigger than a Continental. It's not an A6 size at all. 
No, it's about um, it's about an S class size, right? Yeah, and it's and it's up against like uh, the Lexus LS and the BMW 7 Series, which I don't think the Lincoln is is really touching. Not quite, not up to that level, not just yet. So, so still- it, I mean, in terms of, in terms of material, in terms of interior amenities, I can see the Continental being like those features. Uh, or I mean, being like those cars, but size wise, it's not 100 percent there. I also don't think there are any options on the. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on the um, Genesis. I think it's it's pretty much full load. You, you can get it with, you can choose engines, uh, but I think 70 grand is right where it maxes out if you get all-wheel drive with the turbocharged V6. Wow, okay. Well, that, that does make it a tough sell for Lincoln, but you know what? That Continental name has a lot of weight to it, uh, a lot of history to it, and I think it's weird that they kind of lost it for a moment there with the MKS when the MKS came out. Well, they lost uh, it well before that. I mean, if you look at the the Continental from the '90s, the front wheel drive Continental, that was not a great car. And yeah. this is still offered as <laughs> a front wheel drive in in the U.S. Yeah, um, uh, but I'm just saying, I know the new platform is much better, but the Continental name has has been a little tarnished uh, over the years. And I'm a Lincoln fan. I'm a former Lincoln owner, uh, even as a young man, which I know is which is kind of antithetical to their uh, traditional buyer base. I just, I, I'm having, I, I like the idea of the Continental, but that pricing makes me really pessimistic about its ability to to generate momentum, especially, and I pointed this out on the podcast before, in a market where people are no longer buying large sedans. Absolutely. I think that's the biggest point that you, you can make is that this is not the big market as it used to be. Uh, this is a, 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 a declining market, especially big sedans. But some people think luxury cars are exempt from that um, that trend, and I don't think that's correct. No, they're definitely not exempt from that trend. If you look at the low volume on S-Class 7, 7 Series especially, uh, but any of the, the really high-zoot German luxury brands are, are selling a handful of cars, uh, and it works for them because there's a huge profit margin. But you know, they also have a built-in customer base because they have a brand that has a huge amount of value uh, globally. And I think Lincoln is not currently at that level. So if they sell a handful of cars, it's kind of more of a disaster than it is a, a profit center. Okay. Well, you brought up the German cars, and I think that's really important. Um, if you've been in any of the German luxury cars, maybe you've noticed the same kind of thing. They're not... Um, not overly soft or, or, or really friendly on the road. I don't know if, if you think that as well. They can be a little harsh. They can be a little um, sporty. They're all gunning for that sporty edge. I think some would of them you, definitely would you, are. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. Some okay. of them definitely are. Yeah. But I don't think the S class is particularly sporty. Uh, maybe. What about the E class or the uh, or the five series? I, well, yeah. I mean, once you go down a size, sure. But I mean, okay. if we're talking like the top tier cars, I think the seven used to try to be sporty, but the one I drove this year. It's kind of clear that it's not. Okay. Um, they, 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 it's and I don't think they need to be. Uh, personally, I, I, I think I the only that... the only full size car. Sorry to interrupt. To okay. me, that would be sporty. Would be the XF the the XJ. XJ. Yeah. Uh, to me, those cars all have this really uh, hefty steering. They have a very um, substantial weight on the road. If you know what I mean. They they have presence in in the steering wheel. In the as the driver, you can feel it all the time. Yeah. The Continental doesn't have that. It feels soft. It feels really effortless on the road. Um, and it's something that really surprised me. And it's the strategy that they went for personally. They do not want to be associated with um, the, the, I guess, more engaging drive of the German cars. And well, here's, here's another thing that I wanted to – I mean, it, again, in comparing, the, in comparing the Lincoln to its competitors or other luxury cars – 
the design of the car is attractive but very conservative. It's uh, they they call it quiet luxury. They don't want to shout that they've got a luxury car. Um, and I found that to be really funny because it's the complete opposite of one of the most successful luxury car companies um, of the past few like couple of decades. Uh, Lexus. Lexus kind of had these conservative cars um, and then made they were great. They were excellent luxury cars. Um, and then when things went really well for them, they decided to, you know, we've got personality too. look at these zany looking cars we make and Lincoln's not doing that. Lincoln's making these conservative cars, really soft spoken vehicles. Well, do you think that Lincoln is looking for the uh, leftovers from Lexus buyers who are turned off by the more aggressive looks? I definitely can see that being uh, a mindset for them. I, you know, when you, when you describe the car as soft, it immediately made me think Acura, uh, in terms of just that, that kind of quiet comfort and um you know lots of features for a fairly reasonable price although the continental is not quite that reasonable but i <laughs> i looked up the rlx uh because it's a car that you never see on the road mm-hmm. uh and i last year they sold 2000 in the united states that's and an expensive car too it is and that's the thing that's their version of the continental so i'm just wondering if acura had completely given up on the the full-size car business uh, and it kind of appears like maybe they have. I don't know what the profit margins are like for them on the RLX, but that's a very small. I mean, if Lincoln's selling 2,000 uh, Continentals a year, can you really call that a success? How many MKSs did they sell? See, I think that I think it could be. And we've got to look at that and make sure that they're not like fleet sales. A lot of people see Lincoln's as a fleet vehicle, like a limo. Um, and while this car has those features, that would be huge. Um, I, they don't want to. They don't want to be seen as a fleet. Well, car. no one wants to be seen as a fleet car, but that doesn't mean they won't sell them as fleet. So I, I looked. I looked last year, and just under seven thousand MKSs were sold. Wow. Okay. But well. but 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 big but, they were not seventy five thousand dollar cars last year. That's true. Um, that's important to bring up. I mean, honestly, I I see this car as a better. This is not a. This is not an Acura. This is definitely not an Acura. It okay. Feels better than an Acura. It feels better than a Buick. Um, you know, it's it does feel like it's up there in terms of quality, in terms of materials, in terms of amenities. Um, you're right; the pricing isn't quite perfect, um, and things can get out of hand real quick. But um, that black label, those black label vehicles are extremely luxurious. Uh, I really wish that they could offer those in Canada, uh, but I, I I see why they wouldn't. They're yeah, I mean, it would be a hundred thousand. It would be a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And that's uh, really bad optics. If you walked into a Lincoln dealership and you had a Continental that starts at, I don't know, let's say 60 Canadian, mm-hmm. and and you can also buy a $100,000 version, I, yeah. I don't see that as being a feasible strategy. So here's the cooler part, though, and something that might appeal to um, the casual car buyer. In the past, uh, Lincolns have been seen as just dolled up Fords, and this is this just can't be the same. This can't be said. Uh, with the Continental, it you is don't, so you don't far, think so? It's so far away uh, from what other Ford vehicles um, have. The only thing that you would see that reminds you of Ford is probably the infotainment system, which is fine. It's the Sync Three system, um, but I see I see a lot of uh, I, I see almost no similarities to any other Ford on on the market. Well, that's that's a that's a good thing. I agree. That's with a you. huge thing. Um, and then I, I I came back home from that event. Um, and uh, got the chance to 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 drive oof, to drive a uh, a Lancia Sport, which is a, a fun little compact car. Okay, so what's different from what's what makes the Elantra Sport different from the like Elantra or Elantra GT or, or whatnot? 
Okay, so under, first of all, the Elantra Sport is a sedan. There is no um, hatchback or coupe version of this car. In fact, I don't think Hyundai is going to be making an Elantra coupe anymore. Um, anyways, this is this car has a, a few really important points that I, I've got to make sure you understand. It has a 1.6-liter turbocharged engine under the hood. It's got a multi-link independent rear suspension. And um, it sounds really, really cool. So uh, like, that multi-link suspension, are other versions of the Elantra, are they just torsion bar or something? Or what's the deal? That That's right. They're all those semi-independent uh, beam suspension setups. And if you want a real suspension in your in the rear, in the back of your Elantra, you're going to have to go for the Sport model. Okay. And it drives so well. And Oh, I forgot to mention it comes with performance tires, which is, is I think, a really important part of uh, any car that you're trying to market as sporty. Well, what, what are performance tires? They are uh, that Korean brand that uh, that Hyundai always throws on their cars. I think they're uh, what are they Noble S ones. Okay, I'm not familiar with those tires. When I think <laughs> when I think Korean performance, I think Hankook. Yeah, I think that uh, or a Kumo, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's what they are. So okay. let me make sure that I got that right. But yeah, they're they're a little bit better than the usual um, ro- low rolling resistance tires that you would find on a compact car. Which uh, I think is really important. Uh, anyways, the car the car was an absolute blast to drive. I got a chance to compare it back to back to a 1.5 uh, turbo equipped Honda Civic, which is not uh, a sporty car. Which is not a sporty car, absolutely not. But they both have turbocharged engines. They both about uh, 25 grand as equipped. Now the Civic comes with a few more amenities and. Um, Things like adaptive cruise control. It has that uh, really fantastic lane watch uh, camera. Uh, it can be had with uh, navigation at that price as well, um, as well as lane keep assist and uh, forward collision warning. And for that price, you do not get all of that equipment in the Elantra Sport, but you do get a truly engaging compact car that um, I was very surprised with, very happy with. I even had some track time with it um, in the week prior, and it is not something that will leave you limp i think <laughs> leave me limp wow that's a that's a risque way to describe my hyundai experience well i mean in in the past they've had the veloster turbo right yes and which has a your, similar drivetrain isn't it is it the same it 1. is a very 6? similar i would say that the drivetrain is probably ripped out of the if i had to guess it's probably taken out of the new rally sport uh sorry rally veloster okay uh, sorry that's the called the veloster with the rally package or, yeah sorry i didn't mean to say the actual rallying car but um, which has a slightly better short sh- short throw shifter, and uh, and it and it's also quite uh, enjoyable to to drive. Um, but that rear suspension really makes the biggest difference. In addition to those uh, performance tires, uh, I had a, I had a blast with those uh, with those with this car. Um, it also has bigger brakes. It has a bigger stabilizer bar. Um, and there was one more uh, quick quick thing I want to mention. This is a, a compact car that's available with a manual transmission that can't be said about the Honda Civic sedan. You can get the coupe and the hatchback with the 1.5 turbo and the manual transmission, but you can't get the sedan, not yet. Not yet. So I guess some, what I'm trying to say is for all the people who are waiting for a, the news of a, of a Honda Civic SI, um, and I don't know when that's coming. I know that they're going to be making an announcement at LA and maybe showcasing a, a Civic SI concept, but... There, we don't know when that might hit our market, especially the North American market. And how much horsepower is it? Is it 200 horsepower? Yes, yeah, 201 and 195 pound-feet of torque. 
Okay, so if if price wise compared to like a WRX, how does it compare? Twenty five grand for a Elantra Sport in Canada. Uh, sorry, in the U.S. And um, I don't. Uh, I haven't seen the WRX, but the WRX I remember being kind of pricey. I don't know. I actually, you know what? Let me double check. But I think that that's not too far off from uh, WRX pricing. The, the uh, WRX comes in at around twenty seven grand after uh, mid twenty seven grand uh, after destination and stuff and okay. it won't come with the same tech package and you've also got that kind of uh i don't want to i don't want to call it unattractive but it's not the prettiest car and it does not have the best interior oh i uh, that's kind of being harsh i mean um you know we're about to get a new wrx right we're on the verge of a new one because the new Impreza is here. Mm-hmm. And they promised us that this time it's going to be, you know, the, the global platform they keep talking about. It's going to be a more refined car. I I don't find the interior of the WRX to be a sticking point, but I do think that Hyundai does a better job in their more affordable cars than Subaru does. Absolutely. And I've driven the new Impreza with the new platform, and the interior of that car is fantastic. So you're right. If a new WRX comes out, and I imagine it'll probably be – Around that twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollar mark, um, that would be a great. That's a great comparison, and I can see the WRX kind of walking all over uh, the Elantra Sport in some ways. But it's cool, though. I mean, I feel kind of bad to have brought the WRX because uh, you're right. It's a good thing that there's a affordable, compact performance car out there, and that's that's not something we should ever take for, for granted that a company will do that because I mean, the sales for these cars are always small. It's not a big volume thing for them. It's a prestige thing for them, and, and they don't have to do it. So I'm happy that they did. I mean, you also have to take into consideration. I mean, at 25 grand, I think uh, you'd be crazy, and you want a sporty car or a sports car at 25 grand. You got to take a BRZ. You've got to take uh, something like that, or maybe a, a Focus or a Fiesta ST, or a um, V6 Camaro. Yeah, that's definitely among, uh, among them. That chassis is great and can really deliver the the sort of sporting feel that you want. Focus so, ST is, is is another great suggestion. I mean, that's a car that I absolutely love, um, mm-hmm. and has a decent interior as well, and a lot of technology that you can get stuffed into it. Uh, and it's a great chassis. And yeah, the Elantra Sport, I mean, is a little bit more, I think, uh, livable than all of those cars. It's not har- it's not harsh on the road. Um, its transmission is not going to leave your your foot uh, tired. Um, it's it's fun, but it's not taking it to the to the next level. Um, and it's something that you can live with. So I was really happy with with my time with the with the Elantra Sport. Um, I can see, like I said, a Civic Si competitor. There isn't a Civic Si out there. Um, if you're looking for something that's you know livable, is uh, practical, and you know it doesn't scream that I'm a sports car like some of these other um, kind of compact hot hatches do, do, then I can see the Elantra Sport being perfect for you. Yeah, and then you know, I guess maybe a good corollary would be the GTI, which is another fairly conservatively styled car, but you can't get it in a sedan, right? You know? So I mean, you're right. you're forced to take the hatchback. And those are kind of those can get kind of pricey. They can, they can, uh, but it's just got that good um, that good balance of performance and and day to day livability. Very cool. Um, and I think that's it. That's all I've uh, I've got a report on my end. Um, I had a I had a pretty fun week. It was interesting. And next week uh, is going to be really interesting. I'm going to be checking out the new Made in China Buick Envision. And I, I think I'm doing that too. Are are, are we are we maybe doing that together? Are our our paths going to cross for once? 
I think so. In the snowy mountains of the Rockies, Albertan Rockies, uh, I believe that's where everything will be happening. Well, that's very exciting, Ben. Um, I wonder if we should, should we do a live in-person podcast or should we just go to our separate rooms and do it from... (laughs) (laughs) What you do in your separate room is totally up to you. No, do our podcast. Um, I don't know, but we'll we'll have to see. Well, it's a very quick program. I believe we're in there for just an afternoon of driving, and then we come home the next day. So, it might not be time to uh, to delve into the details until we get back. But um, well, I'm looking forward to maybe we can compare some notes live on the Envision um, for our for our next podcast. What do you think about that idea? That could be fun. And and you know, right after Envision happens, it's the LA Auto Show, which is another kind of a big deal, and getting to be more of a big deal with each passing year. Uh, so that's that's going to be interesting. There's a lot of uh, fun stuff that's going to come out there. I'm sure uh, companies I, uh, are going to be making wanting to make a splash because it's kind of a way to get something cool on the market before Detroit happens in January. And um, it's either the the last big show of the year or the first big show of the year in North America, depending on how you look at the calendar. You know what? I love the LA Auto Show, and it seems like this year is going to be a really important and big show. Um, so I can't wait to to see what happens there. And speaking of fun things going on in LA. I have actually received a lot of requests from other journalists and writers and automotive um, acquaintances to say something on our podcast. So maybe we'll wander around with our with our microphones and ask them to say hello to our <laughs> listeners. What do you think? That's cool? That could work. I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a crazy week. So if we can get some fun some fun stories out of it and uh, kind of pick the brains of our colleagues, that's that's always fun to do as well. I'm hoping to I'm hoping to maybe get a little karting or drag racing in as well. Uh, gonna try and hook up with the Roadkill crew and uh, head out to the track the week while I'm there. Uh, there's a lot of parties going on as well, but uh, I kind of want to kind of want to do some actual driving while I'm in LA. Uh, I'm gonna be picking up for that week. I'm gonna be driving a Challenger Scat Pack, so that's fun in and of itself. And it's kind of the, the perfect car for cruising around Los Angeles. It's uh, and it, it'll be a little bit of fun to maybe autocross it or take it to a drag strip. I think. That sounds like a ton of fun, and that's a great way to, to enjoy a Challenger Scat Pack. So, until next week, then I think we're gonna we're gonna call it tonight, and uh, we got we'll have a lot of Buick stuff to talk about next week. Lots of fun. I'm sure we'll have some adventures in the Rockies. <laughs> way to bore the where to way to bore our our podcast <laughs> listeners. We have a lot of Buick stuff coming. No, what you else? Are what? you are you driving anything exciting next week as well? I am not. Um, well, you know, I'm so. You know, just because it's not exciting doesn't make it not good. But I, in the driveway today, I picked up a 2017 Mazda Mazda 3. I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? The Mazda Mazda 3. The Mazda Mazda 3. That's right. It's a so, sedan so nice automatic. They named it, so nice they named it twice. That's right. I'm just adhere, adhering to the branding, uh, and I haven't really driven it today, but I'm looking forward to the weekend and next week as well. And uh, next week, uh, when I get back from Alberta, I'll be driving the plug-in hybrid Sonata, which I have not driven yet. Okay, very cool. I have driven the plug-in hybrid Sonata, and I'd love to compare some notes with you on that. Um, and the Mazda Mazda 3 is always a really interesting car to me. It's probably one of my favorite vehicles in its class, but it's clearly getting aged at this point. In well, this is, a, this is a refresh, right, for 2017. Uh, I'm not sure how much is different. Uh, hmm. I haven't really looked into that yet. But uh, speaking of cars that could really use a performance variant, I mean, the Mazda 3... Great chassis, fun to drive, but the Mazda Speed 3 has been gone for quite a long time. And uh, it would be great for that car to come back and make a splash. It's not only a great chassis, I really like the interior and the layout, the driving position of the car. It makes me feel like I'm I'm in a fun car. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm not I'm not totally sold on the gauges and the infotainment, but uh, the the rest of the interior is quite nice. Okay, well, I'm going to have to argue with that next week when we have the <laughs> chance to, okay? All right, sounds good. All right, well, let's say goodbye to everybody. And thank Thanks you for everyone. listening. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode four of Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and there are many more to come. And if you want to listen to all of them, what are we gonna, how do we get people to uh, make sure they listen to each one that comes out? You can go to iTunes. You can go to Google Music, Google Play, all that, all that fun stuff, and search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast. It actually works. I tried it this week myself and uh, hooked some new subscribers. You can also go to SoundCloud, which is where we host everything, and you can listen to individual a la carte episodes there, download them, or listen to the whole thing, or just subscribe right from there. Uh, whatever you want to do to get your fix is okay with us. As long as it's listening to our podcast, that's what we're really that's what we're really hoping for. Okay. Oh yeah, of course that that too. But and also, if you want to interact with us, um, you can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Sammy's handle is at Sammy underscore Ha, like you're laughing. That's and right. And mine is at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, and you can also email me, uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. That's usually the easiest way to get in touch. If you want to, you know, if there's something you want us to talk about, or you have a question, or you're curious about what we're going to be talking about next week, you can always hit us up. And uh, that's it. We always love hearing from uh, our read our listeners, and uh, so be sure to send something our way. All right. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. Bye.